and I was just saying uh, the other day that, you know, whoever whoever said money don't grow on trees doesn't know too much about how an orchard works. <laughs> exactly. Welcome back to a conversation between INCAT Sustainable Agriculture Specialists, Felicia Bell and Justin Duncan, about traditional and indigenous farming techniques, both in their families and around the world. This episode of Voices from the Field is the second of a two-part series. If you missed the first half of the discussion, you can find a link to it in the show notes accompanying this podcast. This week, Felicia and Justin talk about traditional methods of meat preservation, growing on relatively large acreages without relying on chemicals, and the myth that traditional and sustainable methods can't generate good profits. Let's listen. Since we're talking about old ways and, and livestock and all that, did, did your people uh, have a smokehouse? We did. We did. Yep. We had a smokehouse. Uh, I learned how to do jerky and, you know, that type of dealing with meat. Now, when I came along, I was the person that got the highs, I got the skins off, the, you know, the highs and so forth. That was my job. I loved it. And it's quick with precision. You know, it's like you got to be precise because we sold our hides as well. Um, that was our school money and so forth to buy school supplies and stuff like that. But you have to be precise. If you nicked a hide, you couldn't sell it. Um, but then you had to get as much skin, fats, you know, that kind of stuff off of the hide. Yes, I know how to salt hides and stretch hides and all of that kind of stuff. But that, along with the smoking of meat, yes. And then we did have a smokehouse, but I learned from, is it the Inuits? Like the Alaskan people, we could utilize a tent method with the, especially because they have to do it when they're hunting moose and stuff like that. They can't you know, they got to go on and harvest the animal because then, you know, predators will start following them as they're hunting yeah. and so forth. So they go on and dress an animal like quick. And I'm like, they're fast. They're really fast on how they can dress an animal and have smoke dried meat like overnight. And I'm like, wow. it's amazing. And all they do is tarping. They're tarping with branches from, um, you know, it from the woods that they're in and they're able to smoke meat. And I was like, I like that way better. And, and the reason why is not having to build a building, you know, yeah. building an actual, because our parent grandparents had actual smokehouse buildings, buildings. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so like my, my great grandmother, I had two great grandmothers who lived on the same street. Mm -hmm. And she, 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 you know, can the, the, the figs and, and, plums and all that the other one down the street she had the smokehouse but by the time I was of age and, and going down there and all that they had discontinued the use of the smokehouse already so I don't know that process you know I, I don't have any knowledge on it so I, I'd like to learn but you know like you said I'm a plant guy so I will happily outsource all my animal <laughs> Uh, butchery and pr uh, preservation to you and uh, you know I can help you out with your with your plantings and, and uh, plots and all <laughs> and see I came along when that was the specialty you know my grandfather was a chemical free row cropper but when I came along it was all meats 
all animals. He was doing all animals and so forth. Uh, we still had the garden, but he had, oh my goodness, uh, uh, right at almost 300 acres in row cropping. And I wish I came up a few years earlier uh, because see, we got so many farmers that don't think that you can grow, be that big and grow without chemicals. And I, you know, I'm like, ah, it was done. It can be done. Yeah, it can be <laughs> it definitely could be done. And so, uh, but I like, again, proof. And so I don't, I know it could be done, but I don't speak too much on it because I wasn't born to actually see it. But oh, okay, okay. The, the livestock stuff, I can, I can definitely work with people on that because I lived it. I did it. I do it today. <laughs> so uh, really just he healthy animals. That's the key. Healthy animals, because yes, that meat is going to end up on somebody's plate. Um, so we want to make sure that we as small producers are, you know, putting out that type of meat. And that's something that we can stand firm on, you know, as, as small producers and stuff. But, but yes, definitely. Uh, I think you, it'd be good to learn Justin, the meat side of it, because I feel like we as individuals that that's trying, you know, moving in the methodology of feeding ourselves and, and really being sustainable on the home front, you got to learn everything. Yeah. And, and it don't have to be quote unquote, so big and commercialized, but it's just learning the basics to be able to take care of yourself. And keep people from taking advantage of you. Yep. 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 If you know how to do it yourself, even if you pay someone else to do it, you can kind of look at them and be like, hey, that's that's not quite right. Exactly. You, you charge too much. You, yep. Yep. That has come in handy for me because, again, I, I got approached by a gentleman when I said trapping because I, I was brought up the hunting, the fishing, the trapping. And then I just said doing the uh, skinning of the animals and stuff. And so a gentleman approached me because he was like, I've never seen a female trapper. And I'm like, where have you been, man? Like, it's a lot of us out here. <laughs> like, I know I was not the only little girl that was taught this. So I'm like, it's a lot of us. You just got to find us. And then a lot of times we know these skills and we just raise our family this way. We know the skill. We teach our family. But it's not like we're going to go put it on a billboard somewhere. <laughs> right. Right. Not everyone has to know everything you know, you know how to do. It's just we just know how to do it because it's a skill set. And that's why I say it's very important for people to learn various skills when it comes to food. Uh, you know, not again, not trying to learn and be the expert on it, but get the basic understanding of it and then implement it for your family. Because I just feel like that's the key. That's sustainability when we can grow and raise the food and then be able to harvest. And then what you kept saying in this canning, did your grandmother do the canned meats? Yeah, I don't remember that. I don't remember seeing any of my aunts or my great grandmother with, uh, with canned meats, just the, just the, just the vegetables and fruit, just the fruit basically. Oh, and see, yeah, I'm, I'm noticing that now. And that is all I was raised on. That was my big mom. She canned everything, everything. Okay. I And you can can meat. Now think about it. When the ones of us ate Spam, don't eat it anymore. <laughs> now that we know better, right? Exactly. But the Spam, the canned tuna, canned, uh, what is it? Uh, um, 
sardines. You're eating it, quote unquote, the modern way now, right. but it's canned meat. That's it's canned true. meat, but it's manufactured canned meat. So just <laughs> right. now take that to the, the natural way of canning meat. And that's the key. I mean, I wanted to ask you that because I I have trained on that, Justin, and the elders look at me like I didn't grew another ear because <laughs> they like canned meat. They had never heard or done it. And I'm like, I have done it myself with my grandmother. And I'm like, it can be done. And then when I give the modern day canned meat to, they like, oh, okay, I can see. Because I'm like, meat can be canned. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm in a canning group on Facebook. I don't, I don't say too much on there. I just kind of, you know, lurk in the shadows and whatnot. <laughs> can hold chickens. Yep. And I'm like, that's really interesting. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't eat, I don't eat chicken and all that, but still it's, it's very interesting that they. Yep. Yep. Can, they can do they it. And the chickens. It's, yeah. It's, and beef stew, like different stews, you could do it with meat. Now I, I have a cousin out in the country. I don't know if she still does it, but she would, she would make some beef stew at the beginning of the week. and that would be her lunch for the rest of the week. It's not exactly canning. It's just mm-hmm. just uh, cooking in bulk and then parting it out. But to me, that's still self, self-preservation. Like you're, you're really thinking, a long, a, a, thinking long-term. So meal prep, to me, that's still bulk buying. Self-preservation, long-term thinking of food ways of people because we have just such a large swath of the population that don't do that. So again, if to me, it falls in line with preservation. You're thinking ahead on how I need to eat and it's really keeping you healthy because you're thinking long-term. Yeah. 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 And I get that. Cause I don't really, I don't really eat any, any fast food, any, any, uh, yeah. the, the, you know, the, those places. I, I really don't eat those. Uh, I, I make simple food. I make some beans and rice and throw some vegetables in it and spice it up with different herbs and, and uh, my my hot peppers and, you know, eat it with chips. Mm-hmm. It's like my staple food. It, it keeps me alive. Now, one of the questions um, before we close out is, have you noticed that when you eat from the land, our own property and or eating from other farmers that we know you eat less? Uh, yeah, you get, you. I feel like you get full faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that relates, you know, to, uh, to nutrient density. Yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted you to get to is like, if people only knew, they wouldn't have to eat so much food because I'm with you with the fat, fast food. I don't do that either. But if they only knew that, eating like and most of these people have seen their grandparents eat cornbread and greens and that's all they ate for dinner that's all it was no meat you know and it's like they thought that was just crazy to just eat that but see they're having to eat more now because the food is not nutrient dense right and you know i think i think the most filling the most filling meals i've ever had were rabbit rabbit and squirrel. Mm-hmm. And my dad, my dad made us a rabbit one day. He made some made some uh, some rabbit stew. 
basically Hasa Pfeffer. And it filled me like so much. And then there was a squirrel out there in my backyard messing with me. So I put him in a stew pot. And it was just filling. It was like, wow, this little this little thing been out here eating eating up everything and you know where it pleases, getting all the nutrients. And now I ate him, and I got all those nutrients, and I, I'm just full. I'm sated. Yeah. And, you know that's that's the thing that fast food doesn't do for you. It doesn't it doesn't sate you. It doesn't doesn't satisfy your appetite. Yeah. Yeah, you right. And and people would think that's that that small animal couldn't feed their family. And I'm like, uh, our big mamas did that. You said seven children. I think it was what eight on this side my with my uh, mother's siblings and so forth. Uh, they were able to feed a lot of people. And then you definitely when we come along, you got grands and great grands in that, you know, your the, the grandparents are feeding and so forth. And we're eating from the land. We're eating everything that was either hunted, raised, and so forth on the land. And it was able to feed, you know, we're talking about it could easy and our get togethers could be 40 deep easy <laughs> and you know and you're able to feed people and it's from the land and and everyone is satisfied um you know nobody wants to run to a fast food place you know and so forth the ones that did eat that way and so it's it's just profound if more people can understand one how to heal themselves we spoke about the herbs um and then just just eating from your own property uh, is just nutrient dense. So it's just, you know, yes, herbs are medicinal, but eating your vegetables, your fruits and the meats from your land and so forth, or from farmers that you can trust, people don't realize it's profound. It is profound how you feel when you eat that food. You're not having to eat a lot. The food that you purchase from these farmers and or you grow yourself go, go further longer, you know, like, so it's not about this, I can fix this meal and only last one day, you know, you're fixing a pot of greens or like you said, beans and rice and vegetables and so forth and crock pot meals and so forth. These meals are going for four to five days. And this is for like four family households, you know, I mean, food can go pretty far if you're cooking the right food. Learn how to harvest the sun twice with practical information at NCAT's AgriSolar Clearinghouse. Get access to more than 400 peer-reviewed articles, the latest in AgriSolar news, and connect with farmers and solar developers who are working together to make the most out of our shared resources. We'll see you at agrisolarclearinghouse.org. Right. You know, there's a point there's a point that you touched on that that I I want I want to kind of uh, expound upon. And that's that, you know, you said the old folks used to eat some some cornbread and some greens. And uh, when I was in grad school, I I had some good friends uh, from Africa. Uh, One was uh, from Zimbabwe, uh, Nomsa, and the other one, she was from uh, Kenya. That was Rose. And Nomsa, she would make uh sadza and sadza is is like a, a corn mash type thing and when you prepare a sadza you have a side of well you have greens and then you have some beef stew 
you know, as a side and you take the sides and you, you pick up a ball of it and you pick up some, uh, some greens and you pick up some, some of the meat stew and you pop it in your mouth. So Rose would make ugali and ugali and sadza are basically the same meal. And the first time I ate sadza, I didn't need to eat for two days because it was just so, it was so filling. And, you know, this, we're, we're going, we're going back to indigenous food ways, indigenous, you know, ways of doing things. And this is, this is one of those, you know, things that, that, that come from uh, Africa and, and, and all around Africa, they, they have this, different variations of this meal it's fufu in some places ugali sadza uh it's it's made from different things but it's eaten pretty much the same way so yeah when you said old folks ate cornbread that that kind of jogged my memory yeah that that that's another thing that's been passed down it's just changed changed form a little bit because instead of boiling the corn it was it was uh baked still same thing yeah yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. That just bring that to our attention, how everything is just so parallel. And that's the purpose of even doing our talk today, doing the talk at the Soil Health Conference to really bring light to the elders uh, that are living this way. They're eating, they're growing and raising uh, their foods in this manner. And we want to always give homage to the elders and definitely our ancestors, because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. A lot of our knowledge have been shared with us by family members. Now, for me, it's a little bit different than you, Justin, and the notion that I didn't go to school for animal science, you know, or go to school just in for the ag world and so forth. So I truly learned this from my grandfather and now able to share with many, many people. And that is what I'm grateful for, that the indigenous ways, traditional ways of our family being handed down verbally, because none of this stuff is in a book. (laughs) (laughs) And you just hand it down. You teach each generation the ways of of doing these implementations. You got to share with the, the young people that's coming behind you. And it just keeps going down the lineage. And that's what I'm so grateful for that. One, I was born in a time that I actually can see it. It's nothing that I heard about. Like I actually lived it and got to do these things alongside my grandfather to see the importance of it and to see the benefit of it. And that's what I... Yeah, I wish more people could see it. I wish more people could have experienced that with their grandparents and so forth, because it's it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So today I just wanted to expound on indigenous traditional methods, practices uh, that's coming ancestrally down the lineage, but also we're living it. We're doing it today. And we don't want people to kind of kick us to the curb. You know, it's it's viable. It's a viable way of growing and raising uh, food. Uh, It's nothing to shun or kind of just, like I said, kick to the curb like it's some fly by night something. Uh, These food ways have been around for many, many years. And if it's up to us, our generation, Justin, is not going to ever 
stop because we're going to keep teaching it. We're going to teach it. We have and, and right now teaching it to our children. And it's just going to keep going because one of the things that I noticed and the reason why I didn't let anyone change the way I thought about my ancestral uh, farming practices was what you spoke about. The elders live past 100. They did not leave this world in diseased bodies, you know, and they just, they were viable. They still was talking and driving and they could see. And, you know, I'm looking at how they were functioning human beings over a hundred plus years where most of us can't see that today. So as a young child and, and growing up, I realized this is the way for me because I want to be healthy. And so I was like, I got to follow that way because I want to live that long. And then, but I want to live viable. I don't want to be a hundred plus year old and just really can't do anything for myself. And exactly. I, I didn't see that. I never saw that with, on, like you were saying, your great grandparents and grandparents, no, is grand or great? My great grandmothers. You I, didn't see that. They they were viable <laughs> and so forth. So that's what really kept me on this path is what I saw. And then the other thing I got, Justin, over the years is, oh, you can't make money off of that. I saw that as well. I saw money being made uh, with our own hands. So that was a meaning you're an entrepreneur. So that was the other reason what locked me in early on is a health benefit. And then on top of that, it, it wasn't a, this kind of misnomer that you couldn't provide for your family too. Right, right. And I was just saying uh, the other day that, you know, whoever whoever said money don't grow on trees doesn't know too much about how an orchard works. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I have a farmer client that uh, has... And I, I'm not going to speak the tree because I'm not sure. So I'm not going to say a tree name, but it is a fruit tree that the elders in his community know that it's medicinal. So he sells ounces, like four leaves. And I'm think, I think he say he sells it like for $10. So I'm like, uh, yeah, I think uh, money do grow on trees, especially when you can take the leaf off and sell it. So, it's, so yeah, I hear people say that, but they are not in the farming business. I, right, I'm right, like, right, yeah, right. but money do grow on trees. When you're producing things that really help people and they know the benefit of it, they will pay a high premium for it because people want to be healthy. They want to be healthy and they they just they waiting for us just and they really waiting for the farmers to grow that type of food, the various teas. That's a, a, a thing in our state. We got a few farms that are doing teas, uh, you know, growing those particular uh, plant varieties uh, for tea. And we need more of that, though, because that's what the elders drunk years ago was tea, not coffee. So it's, it's so many niche opportunities for new and beginning farmers. I know you and I as ag specialists, you out of Texas, I'm in the Mississippi office, really help farmers with these kind of, we call them niche, but for us, they are the way. <laughs> right. and so, but we, you know, we, we don't push our, our 
beliefs on people, but we do share. We share the opportunities that is, is more of them than just uh, what is the mainstream and so forth. And, and I don't know about you, I love getting the feedback when we have farmers uh, that come back and that stuff works. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That they they see it being beneficial for them and and you know they're making the financial resources off of things that we have shared with them, but coming from our indigenous and traditional ways and so forth. So um I will let you do closing remarks before I close us out on just indigenous and traditional uh practices. I guess the the only thing I could really say is, you know, the the old ways have have stood the test of time for, you know, our ancestors, for people who were providing for their families. Um, It's, you know, they're just a they're just a viable option. They're just a just another way that you can have an additional income stream uh, by using, you know, the old methods, growing growing old days, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I definitely appreciate you joining me today to just have this discussion. We uh, definitely look for feedback on on this particular um, podcast, and hopefully we can do it again, just do a part two and then invite some friends to discuss it, Uh, because there's so many people that are doing this. I would love to have some of the, the South Carolina uh, and um, South Georgia chefs on with us. Uh, that would be really nice to have them that are doing this as well, uh, utilizing their traditional farming practices and methods. And now they're, uh, you know, famous chefs around the country and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's, it's important to us. That's why we're here. That's why we share. But we also want to just let you know, our audience know it's viable. It's not anything that's to be shunned away or something that we just come up with or some uh, name or something we just created. These ways have been around for many, many years and and we just want it to come to the forefront uh, because we've been living it for generations and so forth. So I appreciate you, Justin, doing this with me. Again, I'm Felicia Bell. Ag Specialist um, in the Mississippi office, Gulf States Regional Office, Justin out of the Texas office, Justin Duncan, please look us up for any additional uh, technical assistance you need with sustainable agriculture uh, in your particular area. We definitely want to help everyone, definitely those new and beginning farmers that have just newly acquired land and just don't know what to do with it, please look us up. We don't want you to make as many mistakes uh, out there. We're here for that to give that technical assistance. So please look us up. So Justin, thank you. I appreciate you and we will close it out for today. All right. Good talking with you, Felicia. Talk to you later. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. 
Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.